Well, good morning and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and uh, I am the lead pastor of this church that doesn't have a building but is instead all over the internet and right wherever you are. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to be where you are. Thanks for sharing the morning with me. And I'm especially excited because this is the first Sunday of our new Christmas series, our Advent series entitled The Thrill of Hope. And we're going to talk about what that's all about in a minute. But as important as it is to just spend this time to get ready for Christmas, and there's a lot of things to talk about about that, how to observe that holiday, how to get through some of the issues that come up for people during Christmas, we're going to do those things too. And all of those things are really important. But I wanted to take a minute to embrace a deeper issue even than those things. Because I've noticed that there's something that goes on for people that can be a real stumbling block. And this whole series is going to be about finding hope, getting over that stumbling block, flipping the switch that somehow or another got flipped the wrong way somewhere in life for a lot of people. So if that sounds good to you, well, you've come to the right place. So let's get started with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is. Amen. So I want to talk to you about our scripture for today is Luke 2.12. And it's one that you've heard before. It's, you know, it's in the, it's in the Peanuts <laughs> Christmas special and, and all of that. The scripture is, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And to give a little background, this is the time when there's shepherds out in their field and they see the angel and they're afraid. They don't know what any of it means. And the angel says, it's going to be okay. The angel says, don't be afraid. The angel says, and if you cannot be afraid for just a minute, if you cannot give in to your fear for just a minute, I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign is the one you know. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now, there's a lot going on there. Because while it might seem like you and I don't have a whole lot of co in common with shepherds thousands of years ago and all of that, I mean, fashions notwithstanding, we've all been in that moment where we were just doing our thing, moving around, trying to get through life, trying to do our jobs, trying to take care of what's ours and all of that. And something happened, something that might have seemed scary. In those moments, some people run away, some people hide, some people retreat back into what they're familiar with and comfortable with. And in so doing, they miss something important. But man, oh man, you and I both know what happens when either because you just felt brave for just a moment or because you couldn't make it to the shelter on time. And believe me, I've had both of those. I bet you have too. One way or another, you're forced to hang out for a second. 
And you realize in that moment that whatever it was that you were afraid of is there to give you a sign. That's huge. So much of this has to do with just paying attention to the signs. Now, there's a lot more going on there. This is the beginning of our Christmas story in a very real way. It's also noteworthy, as you know, and as I'm sure you've heard before, that it's really interesting that this king of kings, this royalty of royalty, isn't born in a palace. You know all this stuff. You've heard the carols. But there is something important about this amazing life, world, universe-altering event, starting small. I think a lot of times we're encouraged to have these big ideas, and that's great. Have these big dreams, and that's fine. But sometimes the dreams and the vision can seem so big that it makes them seem far away, too. When where you are right now, even though it might seem small, is no smaller than a manger. You have it in you, in this moment, to have some kind of a new beginning. But that beginning has to do with learning how to see and listen to and live according to the signs. This is what we're going to talk about today. This is the first step in this journey because you know as well as I do, if you've been around for a while, if you've been watching these movies or, or anything like that, you know that there's this basic idea that if God is everywhere, and not just everywhere, but kind of the everywhere-ness, right? God is not omnipresent. God is omnipresence, right? If God is everywhere, then doesn't that mean that everything's a sign? Doesn't that mean that instead of waiting for God, this is something we talk about a lot, our job is to figure out where God is in this moment, right? We've talked about this. So the question isn't, how can I go find me a sign? The question is, what do I do about the signs that are presenting themselves to me in every moment of my life? No matter what I do, there's signs there. What do I do about it? How you respond, your reaction, determines everything. I think it was uh, Goethe, who's not only an interesting philosopher, but a fun name to say, who said, you can tell the difference between a child and a grown-up. Because when there's a knock at the door, a child is the one who says, here it comes. But when there's a knock at the door, an adult is someone who says, here it comes. You know exactly what he meant by that. You know that feeling. Remember being excited about things as a kid that you're not excited about now? Nowadays, when you get an email from your boss, let's say, are you likely to go, ooh, maybe this is the big promotion? Or are you more likely to go, uh-oh, I bet I'm fired? Or somewhere in the middle, but probably on the south end of that spectrum, if you know what I mean. When you have to go somewhere, are you excited about it or do you dread it? What is your response to the things that go on in your life? The call, the email, the knock at the door, the blind date, the situation. Do you respond like an adult or do you respond with childlike enthusiasm? Because here's the deal. And here's the thing we're going to be talking about, not just today, but throughout this whole series. When, here's the thing, when confronted with, let's call it adventure, Right When you're confronted with the unknown, something you can't control, something outside of your comfort zone, something surprising, it can be positive or negative. So let's just call it adventure, right? When confronted with adventure, 
the quote-unquote adult response is often fear. Think about it. There's often a desire to protect oneself, to retreat back into the uh, comfortable and the known, to get back into the comfort zone, to get back into what ego says is okay. When confronted with adventure, the typical adult response is fear. When confronted with adventure, the typical child response is hope. Remember when you were a kid and there was this feeling of, oh, maybe this is going to be something new, something big, some kind of adventure. I bet I'm going to grow through this and I don't even know what's going to happen, but here we go. Now, this is not just about finding a way to have a good attitude. We're going to work together about figuring out how to flip that reaction switch back to a healthy place. We're going to talk about that. And you know what? There's all kinds of reasons and moments in life that might have flipped that switch for you. And it's okay to talk about that and think about it, but past a certain point, it's not very helpful to figure out why that happened. Let's just figure out what we're going to do about it. But as I say, this is not just a matter about having a, a positive attitude about something, because as it turns out, your reaction switch determines your whole experience. If you are a fear response person, a quote unquote grown up, you're missing out on miracles. You're missing out on true love. You're missing out on anything good that you might want, that you might deserve, that you might require. But if you can respond like a child with a thrill of hope, something interesting will happen to you. Because as we say, your expectation determines your experience. That's something worth writing down. Your expectation determines your experience. If God is always happening, right? If God is the always happeningness, <laughs> it's all about what you're willing to accept, isn't it? So do you confront adventure with fear or do you confront adventure with hope? It is the lens through which we see the world. It is the powerhouse that makes things happen for us. You know, I wrote a book about meaning and I talk about the idea that, that meaning is what we're all looking for in one way or another. And that's a good generic term. You can call it love. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you like. Meaning is that thing we're looking for, and that's great, and I'm proud of that book and all of that, and you should read it. <laughs> but what I want to talk about now is not the thing we're looking for, meaning. I want to talk about the fact that your reaction is the way you get there. Whether you agree with the book or not. The means to your happiness, success, miracle, meaning is in your reaction, and it has to do with whether you respond with fear or whether you respond with hope. That's what's on the table as we talk about this Christmas series. But it's an old story, older even than the Christmas story. You know that, that I'm a big fan of reading hero stories and mythology. I, I love it. It, it just, that's, that's my thing, you know? And I've noticed that when you read the, uh, the ancient Greek myths, there's a pattern. You know, this, I'm not even going to go into a whole Joseph Campbell thing. This is far simpler even than that. There's this basic thing that happens in the story of so many of the heroes in mythology. Remember high school? Remember when you had to read this stuff? Over and over again, there's a story of there's this young hero who has not proved him or herself yet. 
And it happens with male heroes and female heroes. It's an interesting thing, but it happens all the time. So there's this, this hero who hasn't been a hero yet, but they want to be, right? They're excited about it. And inevitably, they travel to some new town, and inevitably, the king of that town sees them coming and says, uh-oh, I don't like what they represent. I'm going to give them some job to do that's going to get them killed. All right, think about the, the, the labors of Hercules. Think about the things that Theseus had to do. Think about the, the, name it. Every hero gets in that situation. They show up. The king doesn't like what they represent. And the king says, I'm going to give you some, you know, if you want to prove yourself, do me a favor and go kill the chimera. Go reroute the river. Go, you know, audit somebody. Go do something like that. There's some big task that they have to do. Now, you know the story. What happens is, while the king thinks the hero is being sent to their doom, the hero agrees. The hero confronts the situation. The hero rises above. And so what seems like it was going to be a failure moment is the absolute means to the success and happiness and prosperity and hero status, fame and fortune, the whole thing, of of that hero. Now, as I say, it happens over and over again. And yet it's a lesson that not everybody's good at learning. The thing I want you to know, the thing I want you to think about with me is there are actually two lessons in that little hero story that is repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And I bet you already got the first one. The first one is think like a hero. When you're presented with a challenge, face the challenge and see it as the means to your success and your triumph. Confront the unknown. The hero is the one who says, I'm going to face this and I'm going to be changed by it. I'm going to be more than I am now because I have faith that I can do it. I have faith that the gods We'd bring that down to the singular, wouldn't we? But you know what I mean. Have given me certain gifts that I'm going to use and I'm going to rise above. That's a great message. Be the kind of person who can confront the unknown with hope like we talked about. That's a great lesson. Be that hero. There might be things that you're afraid of in your life. And you have a choice about how you respond to that. Like the heroes, like the shepherds, like Mary, right? But that's only one of the two lessons. There's another lesson that's a little more subtle, and it's one that maybe gets missed a lot in that high school mythology class. I don't think Edith Hamilton talked about it. Think about the fact that one of the key messages of that repeated hero story is this. Are you ready? The villain doesn't read history. Because it happens over and over again. If, if the evil king had just read some stories or listened and they'd realize it, oh, wait a minute, every time a bad guy like me sends a hero like this person to go do a thing like I'm about to do, they end up with egg on their face. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should just send this guy to jail or something. The message is not just that heroes confront change with hope. The message is also that villains don't know history. They don't read. They don't think it through. All they think about is what they already have going on. The quality of villainy is ignorance. So ask yourself, not just do I see myself as a hero, because I want you to, but also are there times in my life 
when I have dealt with my situation like a villain. You're not a bad person, I'm not saying that, but with willful ignorance, with a desire to retreat back into the comfort zone, with a desire to preserve the status quo, even if it means squashing opportunity. You know what I mean. Ego and fear, that's what villains have going for them. And it's not great, is it? That's why they're villains. But ask yourself, how am I going to respond to whatever that situation is I got coming up? Am I going to confront it with hope? Or am I going to retreat from it and try to hide it? Now, it seems pretty straightforward what you ought to do, but think about it with me. How many times have you experienced somebody in life hiding from what they know to be true because it represents work, because it represents something unknown, because it represents a field trip outside of the comfort zone? How many times have you heard somebody say, yes, I know that, that science and society and doctors and experts and everybody say I ought to go do this one thing, but you know, there's this one guy on Facebook and you know, not everybody can get on Facebook. He's got to have a point. And he says, I can keep doing the thing that I already wanted to do. So I'm going to listen to that. How many times? How many times have we looked for that one piece of information that validates our current course of action instead of the overwhelming pile of data that says, you know what, it's time for a change. And it happens on Facebook. It happens in love lives. It happens with family. It happens across the board. Do I respond like a hero or do I respond like a villain? That's the question. Because I'll tell you what, one of the signs of dangerous ignorance is the idea that all of the experts in the world have overlooked this one simple thing that you saw on Facebook. <laughs> Come on now. Over and over again, the thing that, that we're called upon to do is to give of ourselves, is to be moved, is to be changed by the experience instead of trying to preserve our kingdom. Because whose kingdom is it anyway? If we're going to get to this place called hope, maybe part of what we need to do is figure out how to redefine what hope is. Because kids and adults have a different idea of hope, don't they? Think about it. An adult often thinks that hope is like this. I hope I get what I want. I hope that it goes according to my plan, my situation, my five-year vision, my mission statement. I hope that I get what I want. Now, look, little kids have Christmas lists and they have stuff that they want to get, and I'm not saying that, but by and large, because a little kid doesn't have control over much of anything, their definition of hope is not really restricted to, I hope that my desires are met specifically, and if not, it's a failure. Usually hope for a kid is, I hope I grow. I hope it's going to be awesome. I hope that everybody I love is okay. Hope for a kid is a far simpler thing, and it involves far less ego. That's the magic ingredient that makes things rotten. So what does hope look like for you? Is it something that you can redefine? Ask yourself of your responses, of the way that you think about things. Are they punctuated by openness or are they punctuated by insulation? What do you do when adventure presents itself? It's a good question. It's a question that will grow you. Speaking of growth and adventure and and all of that, 
if you follow me on, uh, on Instagram or whatever, you, you know that very recently, my wife and I accompanied our daughter and her fiance to a place where they're going to get married in a little bit over a year. And it's, it's this beautiful facility where they, you can have the ceremony and have the reception and the whole place is just gorgeously manicured and every little moment is thought out about how it's going to go, you know? And we went there to fill out some paperwork because, you know, parents of the bride, we pick up the tab uh, gratefully. I'm so happy for them and I'm so honored by that experience. Even the, the seemingly mundane task of sitting down and filling out paperwork, frankly, it was a little bit like buying a car and we didn't go for the undercoating. I don't recommend that. But even that kind of a thing was just, you know, they say blessed event and I get it. You know, it's an amazing thing in a world where there's lots of things to not feel hopeful about. The Saint one, I'm hopeful and they are an embodiment of hope. What a, what a beautiful thing to step out on faith in that kind of a way, to commit yourselves to something bigger than yourselves. Oh man, that's what it's all about. In a way, I mean, I know that, that every story is a little bit different, but it made me think about how my wife Jenny and I were when we got married about five million years ago. The carbon dating hasn't finished up, but something like that. And we didn't know anything and we didn't have anything just each other, you know, and we fought for a lot and we figured it out, you know, and it's pretty special to find something where you can put a stake in the ground like that. You know, I, I think that, that sometimes it's tempting to go, well, you know, in this day and age, you know, it's, if God's already God, you know, why go to church? I mean, isn't God everywhere? Well, yeah, but there's something powerful about being in a situation, even if it's just committing to watch a YouTube movie at a certain time of the week. There's something to be said for making a space that says, I mean this, I'm serious about this. And on a much more serious way, I know there are people who say, well, I know that God already loves me and I'm serious about that and I'm serious about this other person. Why, why bother? Isn't it just paperwork? You know, why bother going through the, the ceremony and everything? And there's a lot of answers to that. And none of my answers involve a word like sin or guilt or anything like that. It has more to do with the idea that it is a public declaration of, we mean it. And I am all in. Not just me, but you and me. And not just you and me, but this whole family. And not just you and me, but the, and this whole family, but our dedication to love itself with a capital L. In other words, God, this is bigger than us. And in, in light of all of the ways that it seems like things can let you down and the world can turn upside down, finding something where you can say, this is pretty dang heroic. It's pretty special. In fact, a, a word like magnificent comes to mind, you know? Look, we talk about affirmations in this uh, progressive self-helpy end of the, the religious spectrum. And, and you know about that. And I talk about it kind of pet peevey thing for me to talk about the way that people use affirmations. I was a terrible person all day, but I affirmed light and good, and I sent love on Facebook, so I'm good, right? We talk about affirmations a lot. We talk about the idea that, that 
Sometimes you can sit there and affirm that you are a well-loved child of God, but if you don't feel it in your heart, it turns out to be a lie. And remember, prayer is a matter of expectation. That's what determines experience. And if your expectation is you're no good, it don't matter what affirmations you memorized. You can hang out with Leo, Leo Biscalia all day long, and if you don't feel good about yourself, you don't. Wow, that's a deep cut. But anyway, you know what I mean. You want an affirmation that works? that really changes things, that, that moves you along the, the path of life into something productive, then maybe don't stop with your words. Find something where you can put a stake in the ground and say, this, even if it's a small thing, grow something in your garden, cook a meal that, that means something instead of ordering Whoppers, do something bigger, get married. Stand up for something. Put a stake in the ground because that's the world that I want to live in. You want an affirmation that works? Be the affirmation. That's where the power is. Stand up for something because that is where hope lives. You and I have experienced hope in all kinds of ways. Like I said, uh, you know, sometimes hope happens because you didn't make it to safe ground in time. You know, sometimes hope happens because you're inspired and sometimes hope happens because you're tired. Either way, you know how that goes. That moment when you have felt that thrill of hope. When you won the lottery ticket. <laughs> when that person says, I love you too. When the thing happens, when it's going to be okay, and you feel so free that you laugh out loud. But you know what can also happen in that moment where you realize, you know what, I just got fired, and that's awful, but wait a minute, I don't got to see those people again? I'm good? I'm done? No more staff meetings? I win. Huh. We've been through both, you and I, haven't we? And there'll be more of both. That's okay. We're growing through this, and... The good news is we're going through it together. And the even better news is one way or the other, we know what that thrill of hope feels like. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Do you respond like a hero or do you respond like a villain? You know how mythology works out. You know who gets to win. Don't you want to win? Well, you know what you need to do. I was thinking about the story of Pandora. Not the, the jewelry person, the, the lady in mythology. Do you know the story? I mean, most people know the, the, the quick version, and that's okay. That's all you need to know. She's often compared with Eve. The ancient Greeks thought about Pandora in a way that, that the Judeo-Christian religion thinks about Eve sometimes. First person. But more than that, the story of Pandora and the box is actually a jar. Pandora and the jar versus Eve and tree. There's some similarities there. The story has a similar, uh, similar point, but I want to talk about the Pandora one real quick because there's something interesting that goes on there. You know the story. She's given this jar, and in the jar is all kinds of stuff, and she's told, don't open the jar. Whatever you do, life is going to be fine, boring, but fine for you. Nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing's good going to happen either, but you're good. Just hang out in eternal nothingness with your jar. Sounds like fun. But just don't open it. We know what happens. Pandora opens the jar and out comes every kind of challenge you can imagine. 
envy and fear and hate and, and loss and lack and jealousy and that call about your car's extended warranty was in there too. You name it. It's all in there and it gets out into the world and there's no stopping it. She can't get the lid of the jar back on because of the force of all of this terrible stuff coming out. But then, once the, the, the deluge has finished, there's something left in the jar, something that clung to the rim and can't let go. You remember your story now? Because it is your story. The thing that's left is hope. Hope. The thing that's left when no matter what has happened to you, you've got this thing left. Boy, oh boy, you and I have been in those moments where it seems like, okay, there's nothing else. Did you look in the jar? Because it's a moment that you can retreat or it's in a moment when you can expand. You get to decide. But the truth is, hope cannot be shaken from you. It is a part of you. And hope determines your experience. Yeah, you know what? A lot of stuff was let out because that's what freedom does. You are a free and powerful child of God. And that means you're free to mess up. You're free to learn things the hard way. You're free to do things that are silly. You're free to love the wrong people. You know, you're free to take the wrong job. And you're free to hate yourself for it. But you're also free to find that hope that, that's been clinging to you all along. Think about your history. Think about the moments when you felt that thrill. I want you to know that, that you can live on those terms all the time. That the childlike response, that you know what, this thing, the unknown email, the letter, the opportunity, the blind date, the moment, you are allowed to feel like that might be something amazing. Face it like a child. Face it like a mythological hero who says this thing that was meant for evil and meant for my undoing is going to change me and make me better. I'm not going to retreat into my own ignorance because that's what bad guys do. I'm going to do the right thing for the greatest number of people. I'm going to do the right thing based on what's in my heart and what's in my world. You know what you need to do. There's something right now that's going to help you be a little bit more hopeful. Because remember, if God is everywhere, then everything is a sign. The question is, what are you going to do about the signs that you see? Be as a little child. Feel that thrill of hope. Let it go. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you very much. I want to remind you that, as I said, this is Christmas. And what have you done? Um, no, this is Christmas, and so the last Sunday of the month, I'm going to do a lesson every single Sunday. This isn't going to be like previous months where sometimes there's a discussion or sometimes I teach like a class. It's going to be me doing original lessons that I write that week for you. I know, crazy, but that's what we're going to do, just like the old days when we were in church. But that fourth Sunday, along with the lesson, we've got something special planned for you, but I need your help. Here's what I need from you. Please take this seriously. 
I need you to send me some pictures, specifically pictures of your lights. So that can be a picture of your Christmas lights outside the house, a picture of you lighting a candle. If you don't want to be in the picture, send me a picture of your candles. Anything that has to do with light, what does that mean to you? And the more, the merrier. I know that it's difficult because everybody feels a little bit isolated right now because of quarantine, but we got something special that's going to help us feel just a little bit closer together. So send me your light pictures. And as always, I want to thank you for, for your support and your love. I love the messages and the emails and the texts and all of that stuff that I get all week long. I'm, I'm really grateful for that, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for all the support you can do. If you really want to help us here at this church, please share these movies and these messages. Please help spread the word. And after all, we give thanks for you supporting this mission financially as well. You can do that by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's take those gifts of love and substance in our minds and hearts and bless the offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is. Amen. You remember with me that wherever you are, you're not alone. So let's pray as one family. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. In the name and nature of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. Thank you. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.